Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Welcome back to Diverse Tech Founders Media. Today we're talking healthcare with someone who I'm really excited about this one drove up to Chicago yesterday from Nashville. Beautiful drive, Chicago in the summertime, unparalleled. And we're sitting in an amazing office tech space right now. Olivia will get into that a little bit later. Uh, but let's a quick intro on the guest before she introduces herself. Olivia Phillips, who is the manager of equity initiatives here at Matter. What is Matter? Olivia is going to tell us and also help the folks who are super into healthcare. Uh, understand a little bit more what Chicago has to offer for you because it is one of, if not the top city for healthcare in the United States. And for those who are like, let me stop, I'm not really into healthcare, why you should keep listening and why it may be impacting you right now. So now that we got that out of the way, we're sitting in Chicago here with Olivia Phillips, but we don't know anything about you except what you tell us. So let's start from the beginning. Childhood you, where are you coming from? What were you like then? Would you be friends with you today? I mean, I'm up here visiting uh, my cousin who has three-year-old, one-year-old. You don't have to start at that age, but I'm already seeing personality come out in those youngsters. So talk to us about who you were back then. Yes. So first of all, thank you for that introduction. I feel like that was a lot, um, and I hope that I could live up to that. But as mentioned, my name is Olivia. Um, I am the manager of equity initiatives at Matter. I will go into that in a little bit, but I think I want to answer your question about childhood. I'm trying to lean more into that, especially as I get further in into my career, further into healthcare, further into healthcare technology and more. So I don't really share this with anybody. So I feel like this is going to be a candid conversation a little bit. I actually had a chronic condition as a child. So I don't even think my coworkers will know this. So when they listen, but I was diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis at the age of five or six years old. During that time, there were other kids who were diagnosed with that. Um, however, mine was chronic because it was ongoing. They could not figure out what was wrong. I literally was in the hospital every other week, if not staying there. So had multiple surgeries, had multiple experiences navigating the healthcare system at a young age, looking to my mom all the social things that were happening, the economic things that were happening then. And so that was really my introduction into healthcare. And I think about that as it relates to the work that I wanted to do, what I was interested in, and then also just where I am today. And so wow. <laughs> right now, Abraham's looking at me because that is definitely a candid story. But I think about that in terms of my younger self because I didn't realize how that would impact me. So going to the doctor all the time, learning how to advocate for myself. If my mom, she's a single parent, so if my mom couldn't be there and maybe my siblings were there, I learned how to pay attention in healthcare. I learned how to speak to my doctors. I knew my medical records. I, I, had, I knew these things, and I didn't realize to this day that I would kind of be doing work in this area. I got to pause you right there for two reasons. Yeah. First reason you mentioned that your coworkers may not even know that story. A lot of people lead with these type of stories to evidence why they're the right person for this position. I think it's interesting that you came in without revealing that. And also, 
having to learn how to speak with your doctors at such an early age, were you in there communicating and advocating on your behalf more or less by yourself? I don't want to you know, say that your family wasn't helping you, but did you feel a responsibility as a youngster sitting in front of a physician who's been through medical school and all that to tell them information they could use to help you? And also explain a little bit more how that impacted your life in terms of you navigating, you know, the whole process? Yeah, so I can uh, speak to all three of those things. I think one, I don't lead with it and I didn't lead with it for a while. I'm Again, I'm an advocate of therapy, so my therapist is helping me with that. But I think I didn't lean into it because I felt a sense of shame. I felt like I didn't want to be a victim. I feel like when you are a child, when you are sick, when you have a chronic condition, And I had it up until like my teen years, just about. So it really impacted a ton of my childhood. Like that was actually kind of what it was around. I really thought about it as something that I wanted to leave there. That's something that I was like, that happened. It happened to me, my family, everybody who was around, family, friends. And so I I knew that during that process um, and going through kind of a condition and all the, the things that came with it, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare because I saw how people helped me. I saw how people supported me. Shout out to Lurie Children's, who at that time was Children's Memorial. They likely saved my life. So I really, at one point, was like, I wanted to leave it there. I knew it was a part of me. But now I'm really thinking about, especially in the healthcare technology space, how a lot of the uh, treatments that I was that was happening with me, a lot of the care that I was giving, it was new. It was innovative, especially considering that's a condition. The condition that I had was one that was found in adults. Speaking to doctors, I don't know if I felt like that was a responsibility so much as it was something that I just did. So I'm the youngest of uh, four siblings. And then also uh, my mom being a single parent, I felt like I wanted to help. And because I was in a position being so vulnerable, being young, seeing them make sacrifices in their you know, lives, being young as well, um, I felt like that was just something that I was going to do, one, because I felt like it was, a, it was helpful. It was kind of a burden off of my mom, I felt like. Two, I was also interested. I'm a very curious person. So what that mean? <laughs> Were you like researching, going in the encyclopedia? Yeah. Like, what, so what? I I did my Googles, as they say. Like I knew when I could when they would say that I was having a procedure. I and my mom is very much. She was one of those parents. I will tell you, if I didn't know a word or we didn't know a word, she would be like, "Look it up." She was one of those parents. So she's like, look it up. And, and, you know, sometimes that's annoying. I'm like, you know what it means. So why don't you tell me? But I realized she was teaching me how to research at a very young age. And she knew I was always into books, kind of. And I'm not saying this to say I was a perfect child, but I was always into books. I was curious. I wanted to help people. And so really that how that little training that she did, those little tactics, when it came to my health, if a doctor told me that I was getting another pick line that day, because I, I've had my few. So that is a pick line is basically a long term IV. Um, so you can get them in your chest, your neck, your arm. Basically, it is connected to a major artery. So I had multiple in my arms, specifically my left arm because my right wouldn't take for whatever reason. Uh, when I would hear those things or hear those terms, I would look it up to see what it was. One, I felt like it made the procedure feel less scary wow. in a way. But then two, I also was just curious about what was happening with my body, what was happening in healthcare, And I was like, and then I would see other little kids with the same thing. So I was like, what is this? Um, and so that's really 
how I kind of came into just research. And then when I would go in the office, I could tell them, you know, is this what's happening? I would ask them questions. Is this true? This is what I read. And they found that helpful. They actually, it was pretty funny because the doctors would be like, is this little girl, she, she's telling me my job. But I was like, I really, I really felt it was necessary, one, to not just be helpful to my family, but two, for myself, and three, to kind of feed that curiosity. So another quick question about this. Okay, precocious child, what was your schooling like? I mean, were they training you in this? Did you go to public, private, chartered, you know, boarding? Like, where were you at this time? And did you use this experience to accelerate your learning in any way? Yeah, so school was very interesting. Um, elementary school, so I went to public schools. I did not go to private schools until I actually got to college. But I went to public schools. However, I was barely in school. So a lot of my hospitalizations, uh, took up school time. It was to the point where my mom had to talk to the school to be like, because they wanted to hold me back because I missed days. However, at the same time, I and shout out to my teachers, they would come up to the hospital. So I had teachers who would come to the hospital, would do school work with me. Again, shout out to Lurie's. I cannot thank them enough. They had, it was called like the classroom in the sky. So my teachers would leave homework and they had volunteers come and do homework with me. And then also I even had a teacher who would literally drive me home from school if I was sick or she would make sure my siblings were okay. Because at that time we were in different grades, but in the K through eighth. So the same thing. And so they, my teachers, and I, again, cannot thank teachers enough, they would make sure that I was not behind. Just because I wasn't physically there, I was still able to do my work. Even if I, I at one point, learned how to write with my left hand because my right hand was <laughs> under all types of, of things and IVs. And so I learned how to write with my left hand to be able to do my schoolwork. It was just so many things happening. And I think, I, I won't say that it, I had any kind of propelling into healthcare through that, but I realized what it takes to kind of get through situations and it takes people around you who are going to support you to get to that point. So I, it went from conversations of me being held back because I missed school to them wanting me to skip a grade because the teachers and just the staff in the hospitals in general had done such a good job that I was then in advanced classes. I love that. I love that. That's very inspirational from a, from an educational standpoint. And it sounds like it had a, a profound impact uh, on your life. So how did you get into tech? Because on the one hand, you could say, oh, okay. Somebody looks at that experience. Hey, I want to be a physician or a surgeon or an RN or some other person in the hospital. How did technology enter the fray for you and describe that connection? When, when was the earliest time? And it doesn't have to be, hey, I started you know, working in health tech. It could be early on with computers or whatever. When would you first start touching technology? Well, I think tech has always been there for me, especially with my childhood experiences. Like I said, they were doing so many different kind of innovative and new procedures that I didn't know that it was technology at that point, or I didn't know when they were, you know, when we were doing telehealth or teletherapy when I was at home and, you know, you would be on a phone or a computer or whatever at the time and they are giving you therapy over. But those were like my first kind of touches. Now, in terms of how I got to matter, I will just be frank. I fell into it. I knew that I was 
So I, I guess I should back up. So my background and my interests have always been in healthcare. I was always interested in child health and maternal child health specifically because of my experience. And so that's what I kind of led with. And so I started out in kind of the nonprofit association world because also in school, from undergrad to grad school, I feel like in public health, and in health sciences in general, that's kind of where they steer you a little bit. And I don't want to say it's intentionally, but that's just, just what you read. So like health departments and community health organizations or community-based organizations and all of those areas. And I was like, I love them, but I, I was just still looking for something. Like I felt like I did what I needed to do here. I volunteered. I was a Schweitzer fellow. Like I've done these things. And I feel like when everybody kind of pivoted a couple years ago, I started looking for my next role. This position happened at Matter, and I actually. What is Matter? What is Matter? Oh, I got, and I keep saying that. So that is a good question. Um, Matter is a global healthcare technology incubator. So, in so many fancy words, we really support uh, healthcare founders with growing and scaling their solutions, as well as working with large organizations. So, think about payers, think about universities, healthcare systems, and all those other organizations to really infuse technology and innovation into their priorities and their goals. So. If you have, I don't know, a health system looking to support children with chronic conditions, for example, we're really working with them to find solutions that would that are in the tech realm to then support um, improving those health outcomes. Okay, excellent. So from your childhood, you were, I don't want to say guinea pig, that's not what I mean, but you were <laughs> in experimental medicine. Maybe that's the official. I would say that. I would say, I think, exper- so how about this? Some was like textbook, right? So you go to your doctor's visits, they, they're like, you're having pain, you'll have this medication. Like all of those were textbook things and not, you know, in a terrible way, but, but it was like they were doing what they were supposed to do. And especially I will can I do shout outs? My pediatrician, his name is Dr. Timothy Santango. I feel like he is now at UChicago Children's Hospital, but he was the first person to feel my stomach and literally was like, take her to the emergency room. And he he was the one who led my care team. He was the one who was like, okay, are we just giving her medication and just kind of managing her? Or are we actually going to find something to cure? And, and cure is a strong word, but basically make sure that she makes it from six to 16 to 21 and beyond. And till this day, I won't get into it because I get a little emotional. I still send him graduation pictures or updates because I think it's important for providers to know that the work that they put in for their patients, especially children, it does have a positive outcome. You could so. do that. Do doctors like it when you send them? I mean, he replies to me. <laughs> so I I will say this. I don't know if he, I, I would think that he likes it because he, we stay in touch. Um, but I, even if he didn't reply, I would do it. So he knows that for every child that, hey, maybe didn't have the outcome that he looked for, there are children that he has touched and other providers have touched that they do have those outcomes. And he saved your life. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was at a point where they it was a care team. They were like, I don't know what more we could do. I was in the ICU at the time. And they basically told my mom that maybe you should start making other plans. Well, my goodness. And so you made it out. Yeah. Overcame. Now, seem, seemingly you can do anything you know, that, that you're faced with. Uh, and you're, you've taken your talents to matter. Yeah. So what do you do now? Like, you know, I get it. Incubator strong and looking at the walls here. It's like they have, you know, a 
a roster of successes in here. A lot of things that they're doing really super duper well. Peel back the layer, specifically you. What do you do as the manager of equity initiatives? Because it sounds like it might be tied back to your experiences early on. But what do you do? What does that mean? What are you up to now? Yes. So um, just as the title suggests, equity, we know that that is the word right now that has always that should have always been one of the words in healthcare, But specifically right now, health equity is it. And so what I do is really drive our health equity and DEI strategy. And what that means is one really hitting on the topics that fall under that umbrella. And of course, there are a ton. But right now, what we are focusing on, especially in this climate, women's health, maternal health issues, we have programming around that and make sure that what the solutions look like are equitable. The founders that are able to submit solutions to, let's say we have a challenge on our accelerator, they're able to, we're reaching um, underrepresented founders. I also focus on making sure that our programming is inclusive of diverse uh, voices. So we know that in technology in general, unfortunately, we are still missing out on folks who are um, a part of underrepresented kind of vulnerable populations, unfortunately. And my goal is to reach them. So it's like if you are building a healthcare-based solution, if you're building a solution that that is, a, I don't know, I've seen like a data-based IT t- type solution that focuses on collecting social determinants um, and basically seeing how high somebody kind of scores to see what resources they need, right? I need to reach that person. I, we already have people in place, but I really want to make sure that our reach and our support lends itself to those voices that don't necessarily always get the resources, the mentorship, the access, the funding, because that is a whole thing. And so that is really my role. Um, I work very cross-functionally across our teams. So similarly to what I said earlier, we have our kind of corporate side, our corporate innovation and partnership side, where we work with large organizations. And then we have our venture acceleration team, where that is really where we support founders. Okay, what is, what is Venture Acceleration Team? Yeah, so Venture Acceleration is basically startups. So anyone who, um, founder, co-founder, CEO, uh, who, has, who has or has created a healthcare-based solution, we provide them access to mentorship, one-on-one guidance. We look at their business plans, kind of see where the holes are. Um, we in- make introductions to them, so making those connections to those corporate partners who may be have like interest in the work that they're doing. Also thinking about funding, we make sure, so we don't, I will say this, we do not write the checks. Matter does not write the checks. However, we want to position you in the best uh, possible um, place so that you can get that, right? So we'll make introductions to funding. We have a few programs that uh, we work with large VCs and also angel investors to put you and connect you to those people who can help you fuel your solution into the future. Do y'all have like a demo day or an invitation where people come and meet these founders? Yes. So we have a few types of programming and I will make sure that um, following this, I'll give you some links to upcoming programming or where folks can find um, our programs in general. Um, But yes, we do host showcases. So if it's a digital health showcase, we may pick uh, five solutions. If it's med device, we may pick five. We may... We'll basically make sure that we're picking different solutions and have showcases for people to come. And uh, a lot of these are um, open to the public, and so you're welcome to come. A lot of them also, we know that folks have gone very virtual, especially after COVID, so we make sure we have hybrid events. We have ones that are in person, so if you're ever 
in Chicago, stop by. Um, or they're sometimes just all virtual. And we still also offer um, networking, even when we have the virtual events, so then people can get to know each other and get to know the founders. Okay, cool. So, you know, we've been enjoying ourselves here, you know, hearing your story and, and what you do. Uh, but I am going to, you know, put my finger in the pool now. And, you know, in the fintech space, people will often use the phrase unbanked or underbanked to describe diverse communities. And I feel like in healthcare is similar. There are unhealthed and underhealthed people. And I'm honestly showing my, I'm, you know, cards on the table, skeptical of this idea of health equity. Tell me why I'm wrong. You are very wrong. Um, but you are also right. <laughs> so, so hear me out. I feel like the wrong piece of that is because you have people like me, right? So after, and I, and I truly feel this, I know before 2020, health equity was a topic. It was there. And my gripe with that was that I felt like it was a little siloed, especially my background is in public health, um, health sciences. And so I felt like an island, like on an island, me and my colleagues would always, we would talk about like, for example, emergency preparedness, right? We would talk about disaster planning. We would talk about all these things. Of course, mine was somewhat related to child health, but we would talk about all these things. And then what happens? 2020 hits and the world goes down. And so as a public health professional first, right, I was like, well, look what happens when people don't have the things that they need. And especially in Chicago, we are one of the most, if not the most at this point, segregated cities. So you can go down one street here, for example, Lake Street, you go north, you go, um, oh, I'm sorry, it's west but anyway wait, that wait, wait, wait. ignore, they, ignore they, me. They, they told me that there's this is not an east west city it's a north south yes. we'll get into that later i majored in health sciences i did not major in geography so shout, so shout out to that but um pretty much you can go down a street here right and you can see the differences like you said north south east west wherever you are and you can see literally where the resources are placed and you can see where they're not. And so when you think about health equity, when you think about people having access to quality care, quality care, delivery of that care, transportation to get to that care, is there a clinic around, like all the things that people need to have improved health outcomes and just live healthier lives, that is the difference between what you're saying in terms of those who are unhealth and underhealth, right? So you have some who have the things, but not quite as much. And then you have some who have none. And so for me, I feel like you're wrong in a sense because we're seeing it more now. And I think after 2020, organizations didn't just put a, a post up on Instagram and was like, that was it. Like, we care about communities. And that was it. Instead, they are actually including that in their bottom line. And that goes to show that really when you put dollars, when you put funding, when you put resources behind actual healthcare or behind actual programs and initiatives, they can work. On the other hand, I do feel like we still have a long way to go. I hate to know that one L ride here, one you know, stop on the train or so, the life expectancy gaps are huge. They're huge. And so that lets me know that there is still work that needs to be done. I can't tell you as much as in a perfect, I, I want a perfect world and I want everybody to be healthy and happy. I can't tell you how to necessarily 
do that and get there because I think there's a lot of things at play, specifically, obviously, politics, policy, right? Healthcare has to work together. We all have to work together and have that common thing and not work in our own interests all the time. But I do think that we still have work to do, even though there has been advancements. So why don't people want to go into the hospital or see their physician? I, I would imagine that has something to do with the life expectancy and, and how is equity? How, how are you addressing it? Where are the successes in healthcare equity? Yeah. To answer your first question, I think that's a lot. I think it's it's really a few things. So when you think about infrastructure, when you think about transportation, some some I'll use Chicago, for example, some areas only have buses. They, they only just have can't trains. get to the hospital. Yeah, they can't get to the hospitals, right? So it's not like you don't want to go there. Um, they can't get there. Others may not feel safe. That's a whole thing. So we know that cultural competency, it's important to understand your patients. And if you don't understand your patients, if you don't understand those cultural differences, then they may not receive the care that they need. For example, I remember, and I, I this is just a, a good example. I was in visit with my mom, right? And so I told the doctor my background, he he said hypertension to me. And you know, we know that means high blood pressure. When he spoke to my mom, he said high blood pressure because mm. he knows her background is different. Mm. And so that's knowing your patient. That's knowing who you're talking to. That's health literacy. That's cultural competency. That is knowing that I'm speaking to two different audiences, two different backgrounds. And so, but I need to convey the same message. That's not always the case in healthcare. So when you have people who are reluctant, it's those little things that matter. Now, in terms of successes, I do feel like we have those in particular. And I'm trying to think. I I feel like I have seen like organizations like the AMA, for example, they have put together trainings for providers to do things like that, right? And so when you have providers who are taking their training very seriously, even those who have been in the game 20 plus years, they still have things to learn because what they learned back then, what is what was taught in the textbooks, it has definitely changed now. I think um, actually a field example that came to mind is dermatology. So we're seeing now that there's innovations in dermatology because the way that skin conditions look on one complexion looks different on the other. And that's not in textbooks. That hasn't been in textbooks. So now we're seeing that a lot of providers who are in that field are like, hey, you're right. Eczema looks different on black skin than white skin or, or lighter skin, right? It looks different on different cultures. It may show up differently because of genetics. So all of those things are playing a factor. And I really think we have certain initiatives that have come into play, even for the textbooks. I, it's escaping me, but there is a new um, initiative out now to make sure that the tech textbooks reflect what I just said. So it'll show the different skin conditions and the different conditions and how they show up. And that is an active initiative that's happening. And I think that's what success can look like. It does not, it's not always this just huge overhaul as much as we want that, but it's those small things that when you are training the next generations and when you're retraining people who have been programmed one way, it can really help lead to uh, better health outcomes. Wow, you are you're really preaching right now. You're making me think and I want you to think about the last time that you were really interacting with the provider, you know, be it a, you know, a nurse, a doctor, a dentist or what have you. But when I think back on my experiences, um, for a period of time, I was willing to drive, you know, from Memphis to Birmingham to go to my friend's dad, you know, mm -hmm. as a dentist to kind of work on my teeth because I trusted him. I knew he was going to take care of me. So mm -hmm. that safety thing is real. And when I was in high school, 
I used to get strep throat a lot, okay, and tonsillitis. And so I went into the doctor one time, and normally I guess they swab you, and I opened my, my mouth, and they said, I don't even need to to swab you. You're in the 99th percentile in terms of your you know your tonsils and inflamed. Those got to come out right now. And it made me, I, re, I bring that up because part of the fear, I think, that lives in our community is I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to start cutting things. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. how you address those types of concerns and issues when that may actually be the case or how you deal with people distrusting the diagnosis because sometimes you do need a second opinion and that yeah. second person sees something completely different. Yeah. So I think the, there's a few things at play. One, when you think about... Um, people feeling safe and feeling like providers are trustworthy, especially when it comes to um, procedures, I think there's a few things. One, I, I personally feel like knowledge is power. And so if somebody doesn't know something, but they're fearful, they're just not going to do it. And so for me, one, it's working with community-based organizations, for example, or those in the community who are trusted. So I know we talk about this all the time, but I feel like it's true churches, uh, libraries, um, anywhere where people kind of get information in their communities. If healthcare professionals like myself or, you know, entities like Matter or who we work with go to those folks and talk about these things, I've, I feel like it will equip people with at least a bug to be like, I feel comfortable going to the doctor. I may question it a little bit, but at least I'll start. Then when you get to the level of procedures, I will, I always encourage people, I don't care if you are at the best institutions in the world, get a second opinion. I, I personally feel that. I'm like, because if you don't feel comfortable, I'd rather you ask around and collect your facts and feel safe than go under surgery. And, you know, when you go under anesthesia, I've been under anesthesia plenty of times. <laughs> when you go under and when you wake up, it matters how you go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just be, I'll just be clear. So I always encourage people to do that, do your research. And I think when you were talking about you went, you will drive, you literally drove to go see somebody that you feel comfortable with and they didn't even have to swab you. That's how you know that's kind of a good versus great provider, right? They just looked. They didn't even waste your time either. So I think I will say this to the kind of direct patient care professionals to think about how you are are working with people. Think about how maybe maybe some procedures aren't necessary. Maybe you don't have to have a swab test. If this patient does have a history of tonsillitis, do you constantly have to swab them for strep or do you need to to uh, just do the procedure, talk to them about why, right? So not being so invasive or quick to cut or quick to treat, but really taking a step back and maybe even doing preventative things. So obviously, sometimes you have um, strep or you may be more prone to things, but I think prevention before treatment or just taking a step back, kind of reviewing when you have time, because that and we're getting into a whole other subject, but um, I just think those, those are my thoughts on that one. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing, equity in healthcare, because, you know, on the one hand, when somebody walks into your office, I suppose, at least historically, there is an assumption or at least the uh, impetus to treat everybody like one human body, even as between or among, you know, the sexes, genders and all that, like to treat them, okay, this is a human body first and foremost. Uh, but it seems like that's incomplete inherently mm -hmm. because people are different and you don't have to get into the differences and this and that and this and that. 
But as a physician, are you cutting or 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 a nurse even uh, or physician assistant anybody in healthcare? Are you cutting yourself off from more information that could be helpful? in an attempt to not discriminate based on who your patient is. Like, that's a tough tension. So when you are counseling startups or physicians or the like, how do you convey equity in a way that makes them feel like they're not having to make quasi-illegal choices? Yeah, so I think what you just described is the difference between equality and equity. Right now, and I I say this taking a step back from my knowledge of the differences, right, because we have all these vocabulary words, but essentially right now what we are literally just trying to get kind of healthcare in general on the same board of is equality. So you want people to have access to the things that are there. The resources that we already have, the programs, the care, the, you know, the medicine, like all the different things that we have as a collective, you just want people to get access to it. Now, when taking that a step further, what you are describing and where when talking to founders, for example, who are creating these healthcare solutions, equity is a totally different ballgame because it's not just giving people what is there. It is giving people what is there based on their needs. So for example, if you have tonsillitis and I have tonsillitis plus something, I need a little extra sauce, right? I need a little extra antibiotics than you do. And that is equity. That is looking at, okay, we have people who have the same things because if you're sick, you need care. Everybody, you know, to some degree, whether that's going to Walgreens and getting some NyQuil or having to go to urgent care, wherever the case is, you need the care. But when it comes to that care, what is the level? What is the type? What is, what's your background? What is it based off of? You have to know all of these things in order to really serve somebody. So when we're thinking about founders, when we're thinking about physicians, when we think about our audience right here at Matter, when we are deploying programs, when we are helping founders think about building out their solutions, you have to think about who you have to think about that first level, right? Just making sure that people can get access to it. Thinking about the audience or who they're looking to serve is that Medicaid populations, Medicare population, all those things. Think about that and then take it a step further to be like, what and where can I build into my solution to make sure that we're giving people what they need based on where they are? It makes total sense. And shifting gears, although sticking with that theme, giving people what they need, let's talk about your counseling with the startups um, and the piece of advice that you give. I mean, your goal is to help these folks be a little bit more profitable. Uh, Like you said, you're able to take people who are still at that idea stage and help them to, you know, prosper uh, and matter in this world, if I could use that, that, uh, that play on words. Uh, What is the most profitable piece of advice that you have received? And bring us into a session with these startups. What are you seeing that you're helping them to overcome so that they can be successful? That is a good question. Um, I think I will answer this from a personal lens. I think professional and speaking about matter, it might be different. And I don't want to step on my venture acceleration team's uh, toes in a way, right? So I think personally, the most profitable advice, and especially being in this space, is trying not to get get caught up in compassion or passion fatigue. That has been the biggest struggle, especially, and I will keep reiterating it. I know we're past it. I know people don't want to hear it. But after 2020, we have so many passionate people. And that's what I like about Matter and our community in general. We have so many passionate founders here 
who not who are not just passionate about building something, but they do want to help people, right? They do want to do the work. But I think with that comes a responsibility, especially when it comes to putting in all that work. You can get tired. Like you can literally care so much that you are tapped out. You maybe just want to get the solution out there and you don't care how. You're not thinking about it anymore. You're just like, I am done. And so I think the most um, valuable piece of advice, especially, and this has followed me throughout my career, but especially at Matter, is thinking about um, that, right? So you want to help people. You want people to be healthy, but caring can be very exhausting. And so you have to learn when you can't answer the question yourself or you can't kind of do everything yourself. You have to lean on teams. We talk about that a lot with our startup. So going back to that point, thinking about compassion fatigue, passion fatigue, you can't do everything yourself. So we also talk about helping them build valuable teams. Like what does that look like? What is your, if you don't have a co-founder, maybe considering getting one. Who's the next person that you need to help you build out this solution? Because it's really important. We don't want you to get burnt out, but we also need to make sure that you continue to stay on that path. And so helping build out teams is a huge one. And that has been, and I guess that goes along with like profitable advice is who's around you and who's helping you. And when we think about resources, what's there that not just matter, but maybe I can tap into my network. So of course, like I continue to say I've had a child health background. If you're building out a pediatric-based solution, who do I know that I can help? Because maybe I don't have all the answers and I know maybe you don't and you're like, I'm about to be done. These kids are going to get what they're going to get and that's it, right? (laughs) Um, But I'm like, wait a minute, before we get there, who can I tap to? So if I know a doc, if I know a nurse, if I know whoever, I'm like, hey, let me let me make this introduction. And I think you have said that on a previous episode, the value of networking and what that actually means and tapping on who you know and making fruitful introductions. That is super important. So I, I think I hinted on a, a few kind of pieces of advice, but I feel like it all lends itself to being passionate about what you're doing. But how do you execute that passion in a way that doesn't Put, drive you, I guess, tired or make you tired of what you're doing, but keep you invigorated and continuing to excel because what you are building can really help a ton of people. So how do I work with you? How do I get to that stage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so are we talking about becoming a Matter member? Okay, so there's, I, I will say this professionally, right? So um, Matter, we have an application. Um, it's simple. We want to make sure, and that's also part of my um, uh, role here, is making sure that when you are applying to things, for example, especially becoming a member, it, it, it does not feel daunting. That can be a very much a deterrent. It can also feel kind of elitist in a way, right? Like you got to give up your soul and a blood type to be a part of a group, you know, like you gotta, you gotta prick your finger. Um, no, we don't do that. So we have, um, if you go to matter.health, um, we have a, a part on our site. Um, if you go under startups that you can apply, uh, we real time review it. We talk to you. We also, if you don't have that time, we have info sessions at the end of every month, the last Tuesday, uh, happening right now. And you can really get insight into what matter does and to our membership, into our resources, into our community, which is so strong. And I feel like that is one of the biggest things um, that I see that has really helped founders. But then also personally, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, 
my name will be in the show, <laughs> the show title. Um, but if you have any questions that I am very much not a person who likes to resource guard or gatekeep, so to speak, I am willing to have a conversation with you. Um, and so please reach out to me on LinkedIn and either or works. Okay, I definitely want to circle back on Chicago because there are a number of questions that I have related to that. But before we do, let's let's talk artists. Uh, and the reason I like this topic and conversation is because, one, we want to learn a little bit more about you. But also, I think there's some parallels in what artists are attempting to do and, you know, what your clients uh, and even you are attempting to do in terms of getting that message out, creating something that isn't already there to resonate with people who... M- you know, they're waiting for it or may not even know that they want it. So which artist most inspires your work? Who do you look at and say, okay, as an artist, not as a person, not as a saint or an angelic person or even a sinner, but I like what they do from an artistic standpoint. So I have put thought into this on different occasions. And I have to say, I don't have one specific artist. I I'm a creative at heart. I will say that. Um, And so I appreciate all different modes of media and art and just what people put out. I feel like if we want to talk about like physical art or uh, I guess you could say like sculptures or all these things like graffiti, I like Hebrew Brantley. So he is actually, <laughs> he's actually a graffiti artist and just an artist in general. He has these characters, Flyboy and Fly Girl. And a couple years ago, um, I have been actually, I feel like itching to talk about this because it popped up uh, recently as a memory, but he had an exhibit a couple years ago in Chicago that was an immersive exhibit that really showcased these characters in different lights. And he brought different pieces of the city together. Like he had an L part, for example, and it was just really cool. I love that. The artistic abilities, especially in graffiti, because living in Chicago, you see it, right? You see you see murals, you see architecture, you see all these things. And he just comes to mind, and I, I have followed him. I really like him. I remember um, I took a trip to Hawaii, and they have this, like, where it's like their warehouse district, and they have artists, graffiti artists, muralists from all over the world come and paint on, like, the sides of these buildings. And he did, like, a whole side of a building and it was just so cool so in terms of that form of art and media I feel or in terms of that form of art he comes to mind for me um in terms of music you are going to find me very cliche right now so let me live renaissance I have been living for (laughs) the way y'all should just see the way that he just looked at me but honestly I will not say that I am a Beehive stan, but that album, for some reason, all the pieces have just resonated with me for these the past year or so. And so that is what has been on play in terms of, I guess, musical artists. I love it. And yeah, was it predictable on the Beyonce <laughs> tip? A little bit. But you know what? If you look at the arc of her career, even dating mm-hmm. back to Destiny Child, quite frankly, even before that, when she was mm-hmm. on like these shows and all that singing, uh, you can really see the growth and maturity from mm-hmm. an artistic standpoint where we all sort of grew up with her as she entered. So we'll, we'll give you a pass for that. Hebrew Brantley, though, I'm glad that you brought that up because certainly an emerging artist. And I think Beyonce and Jay-Z have Hebrew Brantley in their collection now. Yeah. So a, a bit of a, a small world in that regard. Um, so speaking of Chicago, you mentioned you, you went to see an, an exhibit and, you know, he's uh, 
performing his artwork on the side of buildings. Talk to us about like local Chicago, because I've been here a few times. We were talking about this before, mostly when it was frigid and cold and I stayed on the South side and you have been getting me a little bit more hip to where things are, what things mean and all that. And as I was driving up this morning and I see the Chicago river on the right side, the condos on the left, beautiful glass everywhere. The skyline is gorgeous. I noticed there's a beach in Chicago. Didn't even know that that was a real thing, you know, uh, showing uh, my Southern, and then, you know, getting into the farmer's market and the park and just really seeing the vibe, like the energy during the summertime was like something that it really just got me energized coming up here. I don't know if people who are not from this area would really absorb that. But you also mentioned it has some growth to do in the area of social dynamics and issues with, uh, you know, geographical turf and, Mm -hmm. you know, the segregated nature of it. Talk to us about what inspires you about Chicago. Why are you still here? Why is the tech scene one that you want to be a part of and want to contribute to and grow? If I'm a startup founder and I'm considering Chicago or if I'm in the perimeter and I want to come in the middle, why? Chicago is that place. Um, so I will just say, of like, I am from here. I visit other places, but this is the only place I have lived. And to be honest with you, while we have our issues, we have a deep history here. Um, I'm not sure if people know this, but a lot of the blueprints, like redlining and all these other kinds of historical things um, that frankly led to kind of how we see the city today happened here, right? And other cities actually took it and it took that and kind of implemented it in their own way. So if you look around your city, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, some of what you see as as far as communities and how it functions likely started in Chicago. Now, I won't stay on that point because those are that's in books, documentaries, please you know, look at that. When we think about what it is today, when you think about the tech scene, for example, we have, especially in healthcare, we have one of the richest, if not emerging tech scenes to me ever. And when you think about that, you know, nationally and internationally, Chicago has top hubs here. So next to DC, we have the, I think one of the second largest, don't quote me on this stat, but one of the largest um, health, like the healthcare systems that are here, the associations that are here, we have a multitude of those here, if not some of the largest. And then when you think about the tech scene, so for example, West Loop, you mentioned all the buildings that are going up. There are uh, spaces that are being built for founders to come to work, lab space. We just had the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative come here. Um, so they we, they have space here as well. I think that's in Fulton Labs. Um, and we just have so much happening, whether you are on the west side, so West Loop is our west side area. If you are on the south side, we have tech hubs there as well. Bronzeville, some things are happening. So all over the city, you see spaces popping up really to cultivate what founders are doing to really get students involved in STEM. You have Northwestern who has entrepreneurship program. We have actually a few founders who came out of that and now they're here and they're building their solution that matters. So you really have some of the most innovative and and scene changing things happening here. And I feel like it is so attractive. Plus, we have some pretty cool stuff. And I'm not just talking about the bean. I'm not just talking about going to Millennium Park. I am saying going into the neighborhoods. I'm saying going into Pilsen. I'm saying going on the south side. 
literally the community here, I feel like it's unmatched. Our food for one, and I'm not going to brag because I obviously know where you're from, but our food for one, it's a, a just come here and eat. And I'm not saying deep dish because that is not what Chicagoans eat. So if we're on that, if we are on that lens, uh, Chicagoans, we like thin style or thin crust pizza, but just what brings founders here, one, because we already have that rich history, two, because we already have the foundation for healthcare. It's already laid here, right? We have the AMA down the street. We're down the street from the AMA, for example. That's like the leading, if there's not another medical organization, right? That's the leading one. And so you have that here. And then three, when you have, like we're incubator uh, headquartered here, but then you have other ones, 1871 M. What is that? What is 1871? Because people say they always, you got to go. What is 1871 is another tech incubator and they were one of the first here. So really, they are us, but they are not healthcare specific. So they have other industries and other areas and fields that their founders can focus on. Um, and we actually, a fun fact, we actually grew from 1871. So 1871 was one of the city's um, first kind of uh, tech incubators like hubs because we realized we have all this healthcare, we have all this this healthcare scene. Where's the tech part in that? We have things happening in tech, so we need a place to foster that, to foster that growth. And so um, our CEO, uh, Stephen Collins, he was actually instrumental in, in building out 1871. They realized, they were like, hey, okay, we have this, and now we need a healthcare one. Matter is literally born out of 1871. And so now, of course, we're here, they're here, other incubators are here, and we continue to draw other ones, I feel like, um, in Chicago, and we'll just continue to see growth. So I feel like if you're a founder here, excuse me, or if you are looking for a place to start or a place to find community, you'll find it here. That's excellent to hear. I want to take this to an even more advanced level. Because uh, when founders are looking for cities or even ecosystem builders are, are attempting to, to build up the, their local ecosystem, capital is paramount. And I'm wondering if your founders here are raising capital from Chicago, because I believe the story on the streets, you know, we both do a lot of traveling and seeing different founders in different situations, even in large cities, uh, even in large cities that are growing fast. They still have to go to San Francisco and New York and Boston to raise capital. Are founders able to raise here? Are there specifically angel investors here who are free flowing with checks uh, or is it mostly funds? I know the private equity scene here is unmatched, uh, you know, uh, arguably in in this part of the country. But uh, what is it like on the venture capital side, on the angel side? Do founders struggle to raise here? Do they have to go elsewhere? What stages do better? And are there su- successful companies that have poured back into the city, specifically in healthcare, that were venture backed? Yeah, so I will speak to what I know, and what I know, that answer is yes. So we have plenty of founders here. We have local first, well, I'll take a step back. So the answer is yes. We have local organizations who are angel investors who will help you get connected to angel investors and that is definitely strong here 
I think in terms of venture capital, we do have organizations here that do support uh, founders. I will say, though, the I, I think we're in a tricky time. I think venture capital everywhere, especially with the economy, it's struggling, right? So you had kind of this boom in healthcare or digital health solutions after 2020. And so all investors wanted in. They wanted to diversify. If they weren't in healthcare, they wanted in. I think we are now seeing a, a slowdown in that. I can't necessarily tell you all the different points as to why, but I, I don't think Chicago is unique in the sense that it has not so much a slowdown as so much as venture capital firms or even angel investors are being careful now. I think we are in just in general an economic time or an economically challenging time. And so I don't think that if let's say a founder goes to raise capital, that maybe that venture fund will maybe be like, maybe not right now, but I can maybe help you in another way. I don't think that is unique to here. I do. I think that they are just tightening up for one reason or another. Um, but I will say if you are a founder and you are looking for capital, we still work with some of the largest venture capital funds that do have headquarters here, like Seven Wire, for example, um, and other ones that are still interested. They have put their dollars solely behind healthcare-based solutions. And I know we're talking about healthcare, um, but I know others who are not just healthcare, right, um, that are really still working to drive these solutions forward. Of course, they can't do them by themselves, do it by themselves. But I do think that is still happening. I just think right now in this 2023 climate that we're in, it's just kind of just taking a taking like a, a one line, right? We had some ups, some downs, but I don't think that is just unique to Chicago. Um, but I still think that you can raise capital here successfully. You just have to be tight. <laughs> that makes sense. And unique to the state of Illinois. Yeah. Um, although I think other states uh, adjacent and in different parts of the country do this too, but you can actually get a tax credit for investing in startups, um, you know, an angel tax credit from the state. So they really do back uh, sort of investors here, but the ones, uh, so you've, you've seen a number of startups come through here and even in your time, I mean, you probably get reached out to from a number of, of folks as well. Um, and as you flex that muscle and exercise it more and more, you start to see which ones are more likely to succeed and do well. Although you never know, sometimes you may be surprised by what makes it. But what patterns do you see that suggest that this team will likely stand the test of time? And even if uh, the economy changes or if their market changes or AI comes and you know disrupts what they're doing or a competitor comes in, that they still will likely be successful. What patterns do you see when you're working with these teams, and if I'm listening to this right now and I want to know, hey, look, I want to come to Chicago. I want to be in the healthcare side. I have an idea. I've had a similar thing. I'm going to listen to this episode and start something I already have. What do I need to know as I step into your doors here? Well, that is, that's the big question, right? And for me, and this is, this is, my kind of experience, this is what I have observed and what I've seen. The difference between a, a good founder or a founder and a great founder is that you don't think that we can do it all for you. That has been one of the biggest, and I mean biggest things that I have seen, that I have 
heard that I have talked to, we can offer you. So, and I'm not just saying matter in general, but other hubs who may focus on healthcare as well, we can help you, right? We can help you with your pitch. We can help you with your business plan. Uh, we can help you, you know, answer questions, get connections, introductions. But if you are a founder who does not take advantage, and when I say advantage, I mean, come prepared. I mean, showing up, putting your pitch deck up, knowing your talking points, knowing your trajectory, having a timeline. How are you in this, you know, if you're looking for a pilot, how are how is your pilot going to support you in growing your solution? But how is your pilot going to also support that organization? If you are just coming in thinking that, hey, I'm going to come to Matter, I'm going to go to 1871, I'm going to go to any other organization, and they are going to open the doors, that is not it. Healthcare in itself right now, especially because it is continuing to be a booming market, um, especially with digital health solutions, telehealth, you ha- it's so saturated, right, that you really have to be on your A game and know that we can we can put you in the position, but you have to grasp that opportunity and take it by the reins. And so if you come through these doors, know that we will stick our necks out and do everything for you. And we have seen success in that. Um, but those founders are the ones who were like, they, they prepared me, check, 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 but I have to do the follow through. And that has been my experience. And I think when you see people and not to say that, that the ones who come in and they maybe don't, they're not that huge success story or whatever the case have you, that they don't do that work. But I think there are some out there that think that once you step into our doors or once you meet with a mentor one time or whatever that is, that that's it, that they're like, okay, well, nothing's happened. And I was like, well, you have to actually continue. It is work, (laughs) you know, just because you started the company doesn't mean you don't have to work for it to grow and succeed and foster. And we can pour into it, but you also have to do that too. So that has kind of, that is my advice. And that's kind of my experience and what I see is that those go-getters, those ones that are where we can ping you and be like, hey, go to this event or talk to this mentor and you do it and you continue to do that and you continue to follow through, that is when I have seen the most success. You just said a word right there. <laughs> you really did. That might be, I mean, honestly, in addition to your story, one of the most mm-hmm. powerful things that you've said, because I have attempted to say something less lesser than what you said, but similar and not conveyed it in the way that you did. I'll say, hey, when you're going into this accelerator, have a plan, do this. But mm-hmm. you distilled it down brilliantly by like, look, they can't do everything for you, mm-hmm. but they can incubate or accelerate what you already have going on. And what they really need from you that they can't give you is that energy and that drive and that direction and that sense of purpose. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, you've said a lot of stuff today so far. We got to learn a lot more about you. Uh, maybe you have some things that other people don't know. So we appreciate you sharing that. And also, you know, the direction that health equity is going in. And I can see that it's not just about, you know, making sure that, you know, people know that this person is coming from a certain community, but really thinking about what, how is this different from the last patient that walked through my door, which is very powerful. And even Chicago, it being a true hub of entrepreneurship where there are investors too, because you cannot have an ecosystem with a bunch of founders, a bunch of builders, but no investors. So Chicago has that. When we look at, you know, your experiences writ large and, you know, what your contribution is, what is the one takeaway 
that you want me to walk away with as I'm listening to this? I have been stirring on that question. Um, I think I think about that question a lot is what is the takeaway? What is the resource? What can I share with people? And I think for me, um, speaking just for me and not necessarily for matter is leaning into your story as it relates to navigating your career, navigating, building a solution, just in general. I, unfortunately, I started that late, right? So if you are an early stage or an early professional or undergrad, or if you are an early stage founder in healthcare, what experience ties you to the work that you are doing? It doesn't have to be as I don't want to say invasive, but that's the word that comes to mind as invasive or intense as maybe my story sounded, right? But there is something that is connecting you to the work that you are doing or that you want to do. And I would tell people to lean into that because the more you lean into who you are, your values, your thoughts, your experiences, the more success and not just success, but, and I'll say success, but the way that success looks. You will feel content. You will feel like you are working towards a goal. You will feel like you have your own personal mission statement that I think will align to the work that you are doing and you will continue to see success and whether that is hitting your timeline, getting a pilot, graduating with the degree that you want, whatever that looks like, I will leave that with people to just lean into who you are and what your story is and in relation to the work that you're doing. Before we go, why do people not do that? What took you so long? Why is that so difficult to do? I think there's a few things. I think for me, like I said, not wanting to be a victim because I was a child that I feel like people kind of define you like that. It's almost one of those things when you come out with something big, it's like, uh, well, that's what I see this person as, right? I And I, I'm a young Black woman, so I already have some checks as to how people perceive me. So to add that on, was a lot for me. And so, like I said before, I'm a huge advocate of therapy and finding, you know, someone who you can talk to. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be your mentor. It could be a family member, a friend, whoever. But talking to someone just out loud without, you know, feeling like you're judged for what you're saying and then listening to what you say, even journaling, writing it down, what it, what's coming out of you. And I think the more you kind of let go of maybe that shame or that guilt or whatever feeling that you see that is a trend and uh, what's happening before you actually lean into your work, I think that is where you will go and be able to to kind of lean into your story. So for me, again, it was it was just not wanting to be that victim. But I think once you get past that, that is then where you'll feel comfortable leaning into it. Well, I'm glad you did because it is a powerful one. And I think it further accentuates why you do what you do, which is a powerful thing. Your why is is uh, super important. So thank you for this. Uh, this has been a, a, an enlightful, uh, enlightful. This, is, <laughs> this has been an enlightening conversation. And I'm glad that we have it, especially because we haven't really talked about healthcare that much on this podcast yet. And so you are opening up that conversation. Uh, before we go, we have a couple more questions. Um, the next one 
is how can people get in touch with you? You mentioned your LinkedIn, but what is the best way for people to reach out to you? What is the wrong way to reach out to you? How can we get in your DM, your inbox, and actually get a response from the real you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like I mentioned, please feel free to LinkedIn me. Um, also, you can shoot me an email, um, whether it's my professional one, it's oliviamatter.health, or my personal one, philipsolivia at gmail.com. Um, I am open to discussions, uh, reactions, or if you are, I've been talking to students recently. So if you are a student who's like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm in healthcare, whatever it is, please feel free to talk to me. Um, in terms of if you are a founder and you are looking, if you're a healthcare founder and you're looking for support, Matter has a few modes. Uh, we have our LinkedIn, of course. We have our um, Instagram at Matter Health. And then we also have um, a podcast as well. So podcast.matter.health. Um, and you can check us out that way. Lovely. So we have a tradition on the, the podcast. I mean, I hear my voice, you know, uh, pretty frequently. So uh, we want yours to be basically the last thing that they hear. So um, we want you to have the last word. Uh, you talked about a lot today, as I've already mentioned. Um, but, you know, do you have any parting words for, for folks before they sign off today? Just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for hearing my story because this is really the first time I have shared it on a national platform, international platform. Um, and I wish you success in anything that you're doing and know that this is a genuine, I want people to win. So win. And you can win by reaching out to Olivia. Thank you for your time. And until next time, we bid you adieu. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and we'll see you next week.